we're waiting for that civil rights moment for the national movement and the Martins to stand up and everyone follow and Million Man March. I think those are important elements of it, but God has already identified who that individual or individuals will be. In the Mm. meantime, you have the tremendous opportunity to stand up now, to go to your local uh, municipalities, to Uh, inform yourself of what the issues are taking place to help improve. You have the opportunity to go into your local homes and share your heart, begin to shift maybe the mindset of those that have been living in a bubble in terms of what their thought process towards the African-American race or any other race um, specifically. And those are the things that once you start throwing and identifying some of those smaller fruits, eventually that tree that's filled up with opportunities will not have so much fruit that are really available and then the big things will start to be attacked as well welcome to episode 18 of the 50 cups of coffee podcast i am your host bobby audley on today's episode i sit down for a virtual cup of coffee with sean tucker Sean Tucker is the head athletic director and associate vice president at New Jersey City University. A few months back, I recorded an in-person interview with Sean, which I will release eventually in the future, where we talk about team culture. We talk about his role as an athletic director and AVP. We talk about how our relationship started when he was working at Rutgers University, and I would go in and work with their SAC, their student athlete uh, advisory committee. We talk about the work that I've done with his coaches, and we talk about the work that I've done with A Life Ministry, which is a a youth college-based ministry organization that Sean leads. The reason I am releasing this different interview first is because if you have listened to the past two episodes of this podcast, I have uh, taken a different approach with the show to ensure that we are timely and this show that is all about relationships is having the right conversations with the right people about what I believe we need to talk about right now. Sean is a black man, and he is an individual that I have built a relationship with, who I lean on, who I learn from, who I am challenged by, and he's an individual who I would reach out to during this time to simply connect and hear his thoughts on what I can do better and what I can do more of. And please know, I am not reaching out to a guy like Sean and saying, hey, you're a black guy. Tell me as a white man what I need to do, thinking that he represents what all black people think or all black people want or all black people are looking for. I know that as a friend and mentor to me, he is someone who's going to share with me his opinion for what I for what I can do. And that's what I'm encouraging you to do as well. These episodes are not necessarily meant to be this person speaking on behalf of an entire community that is black people. They are me letting, this whole show has always been me letting you essentially listen in on my 50 cups of coffee. And that's exactly what this is. In in reaction to the murder of George Floyd, I have started having these intentional conversations with friends and mentors, and I'm recording some of them because I think hearing them will be helpful for some of you if you have some of the same questions and challenges that I have. In this interview, Sean talks about the importance for all of us of immersing ourselves in the black culture, to be more informed, to be educated. A lot of times it's easy for me to think back on things and that I've never heard about or learned about or knew about, and I, I almost get frustrated at my education. For example, in, in I forget if, if it was in the recording with Harry Swain, but um, Harry and I did talk about uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and, and what happened there back in, I believe it was the 20s, when, when what was known as Black Wall Street, this community that, that had, had really just, black people had created their own wealth and, and success, and that community was burned the ground and I'd never heard of that before. And I, I, I got frustrated thinking, how, how is this not in the history books? Why are so many, like, who, who decides what gets put in the history books, what we get taught as kids? And why is this story not in the history books? And 
And so Sean and I talked a little bit about this and this concept of there are so many opportunities and resources today. Instead of getting frustrated with with an education system, get instead get get inspired to go learn yourself. Go watch the the movies that are on Netflix. Read books. Uh, listen to podcasts. Con- have conversations with people that you know about these issues. And Sean and I talk about that. We get into politics a little bit and how politics has become a dirty word. And And we no longer have conversations about political opinions, about religion, uh, about things that might rub people the wrong way. And so we've almost we we've so gotten away from having these conversations about views with people that we're not fully comfortable with, maybe because we're threatened, maybe because we're vulnerable, maybe because we don't want to offend them, maybe because we don't want to get in a fight. And and I have always been on the side of, listen, my best relationships are with people that challenge me and I challenge them. We have our arguments, we have our disagreements, and we, we come together in the end. I've said it a million times on this podcast. I say it in this interview with Sean. My best friends, uh, I have, I have a, a best friend who's a free market capitalist. I have a best friend who uh, is a socialist. I have a best friend who's an atheist. I have a best friend who's devoutly religious. Um, and, 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 and I'm somewhere in the middle of that. Um, and, and so it's, it's amazing to me how so many people avoid deep, tough, difficult conversations. And then they themselves are a bit rattled when the conversation is thrust upon them and they don't know how to react and they don't know what to say. We don't know how to react and we don't know what to say because we've been taught to avoid it. And too often the conversation is only had on social media, which is a terrible platform for conversation. It really is. Uh, There's a lot of benefits of social media. I, I enjoy it. And it's a terrible place for a discourse. It's a terrible place for a debate. And, and so I do encourage you, don't allow that to frustrate you or, or push you away from conversation, discourse, and debate, but seek out, connect with people in person and, and, and over Zoom if that's the best place to do it now. So that's what I did. Um, that's what I've been doing. And I've recorded a few of them for you. This is the second episode I recorded for you, sitting down and talking with Sean Tucker. He is an athletic director. And so if you are a coach or a administrator in athletics or an athlete who has come to enjoy this podcast for the athletic guests I've had on, for the insight that they provide for your team culture, I'm here to tell you right now, this is an important episode for you because Sean talks about how Monday morning after the murder of George Floyd, as the athletic director at a, at a university, as the assistant associate vice president, he facilitated a conversation on Zoom to say, how are you? And, and what's on your heart? What's on your mind? He had uh, black uh, coaches speak up about, uh, he said one instance where a coach was punched in the face by an officer, a police officer in the past. Another white coach spoke up and said, I don't know what to do. I'm afraid to say the wrong thing. Um, how do I, what do I do? How do I help? How do I serve? And he, I asked Sean, I said, what did you say to that individual? Because that's something I've heard ever since releasing my white privilege episode. I've gotten a lot of text messages, emails, phone calls about it. And, and I've heard that question over and over again from white people saying, I'm afraid to say the wrong thing. I'm afraid to, 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 to step over a line. I'm afraid to do something stupid. And so what do I do? And Sean talks about what he shared with his coaching staff. I asked Sean, you're in a position of leadership at a university. What is your advice for other leaders, other coaches who are not speaking up? And, and Sean shares his, his, his advice here. And it's his advice. You don't have to agree with it. I do encourage you to hear it, reflect on it. If you like it, take it, use something from it. If you don't like it, think about why you don't. Challenge yourself. Maybe reach out to Sean or reach out to me if you want to reach out to Sean for more guidance. He's an incredible, uh, in my opinion, one of the best athletic directors in the country from my experience and and just an incredible human being. And and I think you're going to enjoy this episode. I look forward to releasing our full in-person episode down the road. And I thought right now this was an important conversation to release. Last thing I'll say before we get into the episode, I am releasing this on Thursday, June 18th, which is not my usual drop date. Earlier in the week, I already released an episode with Harry Swain. If you have not listened to that, please go back and listen to that one as well. 
The reason I'm releasing it on Thursday, June 18th is because tomorrow is Juneteenth, the 19th of June. Now, I am not going to sit here and pretend that I have known what that means for quite frankly, ever. Um, I think I was first, Juneteenth really first came into my mind and my world, I want to say within the last few years. I definitely did not know about it growing up. And within the last few years, it was because of social media that I came to be aware of Juneteenth. And I would see black friends and mentors and people I follow and are connected with sharing about Juneteenth and their celebration of Juneteenth. And I'd probably read it quickly and keep scrolling. And so I'm going to be honest, I I really had no idea what it was. I knew it had something to do with the end of slavery and really nothing beyond that. And, and it went back to my white privilege episode, what I shared there. I looked at it as it's not my day to celebrate. It's not my, I wasn't against it. Great. I had no feelings about it. I was apathetic towards it um, because I didn't know anything about it. And, and I've been challenged lately. Obviously it's, it's in front of people now. And so I looked it up. And uh, if you look up Wikipedia, Wikipedia, I'm going to read it to you. Uh, Juneteenth is an unofficial American holiday and an official Texas state holiday, according to Wikipedia. Celebrated annually on the 19th of June in the United States to commemorate Union Army General Gordon Granger's reading of federal orders in the city of Galveston, Texas on the 19th of June, 1865, proclaiming all slaves in Texas were now free. Although the Emancipation Proclamation had formally freed them almost two and a half years earlier, and the American Civil War had largely ended with the defeat of the Confederate states in April, Texas was the most remote of the slave states with a low presence of Union troops, so enforcement of the proclamation had been slow and inconsistent. Now, I know this is Wikipedia, and and I know this is just the first paragraph of it, and I am paying attention to the reality that this was two and, a year, two and a half years after the Emancipation Proclamation. I go back to the fact that I'd never heard of Tulsa, Oklahoma, and the burning of Black Wall Street. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, Google it. Uh, and, and I think of when I remember learning about the Emancipation Proclamation as a kid, we were taught that um, that was the end of slavery. And I think at some level as a kid, my, my young brain thought that the... Slaves were just unchained and freed and, and sent out to go live a American life. And, and now that I'm older and have read more and, and more informed, uh, you, and I've known this for, for quite a while, I'm not just discovering this reality, that that is not at all how it happened um, to, to, to set free an enslaved population is, is in no way that simple. And I'm not making a comment on how we should teach it to our young people. And I don't see how teaching Juneteenth, once you get to high school, um, why that's not a part of it. And again, I'm not trying to make a comment about education right now. It's just my own. Uh, my, my intros have been off the cuff, unscripted, and just kind of my own thoughts. So I hope you're okay with that. My reality is Juneteenth is celebrating that two and a half years after the Civil War was over, after the Emancipation Proclamation. It wasn't that Texas first heard about it. It's that the state of Texas uh, had what they called um, a slow and inconsistent enforcement of the proclamation. And I'm not here to put down Texas. I love the state of Texas. I travel to it often. It's one of my, honestly, maybe one of the few states that I visit regularly throughout the year. I'm simply making a comment about history that we celebrate this day because it was a day in the history of our country where finally, legally, um, all slaves in the country were free. And so I'm releasing this episode as my way of, of trying to engage in the conversation now, trying to be aware, trying to celebrate the fact that I would look at this on social media and not really fully understand it and make the decision that it had nothing to do with me, was ignorant, was naive, was, was, was just part of the problem. And I am learning how much what Sean Tucker has to share in this interview, the solution for those of us who are not a part, who are not black, uh, the solution is to 
immerse ourselves in black history, in black culture to understand it. And, and the reality is, uh, I believe, at least in my experience, um, most people are immersed in white culture because that's my experience. That's the, the primary predominant culture. And so the least we can do as white people is immerse ourselves in other cultures to be more aware, more informed, um, more understanding. And as Sean and I talk about here, more empathetic. I've said on past episodes and, and other ones that, are, that I've recorded that'll come out that I realized part of my block in, in fully uh, feeling the murder of George Floyd and others is my lack, my inability to empathize with someone who looks like me being murdered multiple states away from where I live and me feeling that in an emotional way. And, and the reality is, I mean, Dave Chappelle talks about it in his Netflix special that's 27 minutes long called 846, if you haven't watched that yet. We all need to find that empathy. Sean says we need to move from apathy to empathy. That's the answer and solution for our world right now for so many challenges, not just race. The reason I have focused so much attention on race right now is number one, it's, it's the most important issue right now, I believe, in addition to us continuing to stay socially distanced and safe so that our healthcare workers can help us get through this global pandemic. And as someone who does a podcast about culture, about leadership, and about relationships, I believe if this isn't the greatest tool and analogy right now to say this is why culture and leadership and relationships are so important, then I don't know what else is. I think for a while sports became my analogy because that's the world I work in. And in the end of the day, I've said this to every coach I work with, I could care less if your team wins at the end of the season. I care how your players act and show up 10, 20, 30, 40 years from now. And people say to them, why do you show up like this? And they say, it's because I played for so-and-so. And that's what they expected of me. And that's how they taught me to show up. That's the most powerful thing that comes from sports. And that's why that was my tool and analogy for so long and will be. And right now, if you're listening, wondering why my intros and my episodes have focused so much on the conversation of race in this country, it's because this show is about leadership, culture, and relationships. And, and that, I believe, is the solution to our current divisiveness and challenges. And I hope that this episode is another example as to why I believe that. And I hope this episode helps you think differently. And I hope this episode challenges you. Um, I have no idea who you are. There's a lot of diverse listeners of this podcast. And from my own anecdotal research as to who my audience is, it's predominantly white. And, and that's, I'm, I, it is what it is. And, and, and so, yes, I am a white host speaking to the white community in these podcasts, asking questions that I'm hearing from my white community and, and not looking at the guests as, as representative of the entire black community, but simply saying, you have, a, a, you have had a different life experience than I, than I have had, and what can I learn from that and what can I share with others? And if you are black listening to this, if you are any other race, gender, uh, creed, religion, belief, I don't, wherever you come from listening to this, I hope it serves you. And I welcome your, your thoughts, your pushback, your feedback, your insight uh, into some of these episodes that I've been doing and intro rants uh, that I've been having. Uh, my goal with this is to continue having better conversations with a more diverse group of people. With that being said, I, 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 you know, taking the advice of Sean Tucker and, and, and not knowing what to say, but saying anything anyways, I don't know if I wish you a happy Juneteenth. Is that what we say? Uh, I encourage you to celebrate Juneteenth. I encourage you to honor it. I encourage you to look it up and inform yourself about it. Um, my wife, uh, her employer has given them the half day because of it. And so in the afternoon, we are going to sit down and watch uh, one of the Netflix uh, documentaries or movies or shows that's been recommended um, uh, on, on, on race in this country. And so I encourage you to do the same and, and maybe even just listen to this episode to honor it and share it with someone who, who needs to hear it as well. 
With that being said, please enjoy my cup of coffee with Sean Tucker. No, at first, uh, when you sent that text um, out to me, um, I, I, was, I was excited um, for two reasons. Obviously, um, you being a white Caucasian and kind of the dynamic and the, the reality that has settled in in our nation, where there's this unrest that was always there. It was this underlining issue um, of the unjust as well as the, the racial tension that all of a sudden has now come back up um, to play. And to me, this movement will be sustained to change only if um, our white brothers and sisters begin to take a stand and really um, move from a place of just apathy to empathy. I've been really stating that with so many people now that I feel it. I feel there's, there's a shift taking place um, in our nation, in our communities, in our, in our homes that uh, last week, I was sitting across the table with a 64-year-old uh, white man who reached out to me and says, um, hey, Tuck, I just want to have a conversation with you. I want to be informed. I, I, I can no longer be silent. And for me, that was powerful, impactful, because um, something had to, to, to shift in someone's mind um, in order to be compelled to reach out that abruptly and reach out with a sense of, um, I have failed in my silence. My silence can no longer be uh, consent to the matter. And to me, that's a major plus in the right direction. Well, that's what did it for me as I've shared, as I shared on the podcast already. Um, I, I always have sought as, as a leader, as someone who does a leadership development speaker, mm -hmm. right? If that's what I call myself. I've always sought to remain apolitical. I'm very opinionated. I have political opinions and I've always sought to remain apolitical. And I have uh, in that, have attached that to the Black Lives Matter movement. And that's where I recognized I was wrong. And, and it's not a political issue to mm -hmm. say that Black Lives Matter and to take a stance on, on what's happening right now. And if anything, it is antithesis to what I teach yeah. of, of you're either part of the problem or part of the solution. And so it was a complete reversal for me. I love what you said, apathy to empathy. I've been using that word a lot because I said, I think part of, of, of my experience as a white man, uh, specifically from upstate New York is where I grew up, is that I realized, you know, I've said this before on the show, but I'll say it again that for a long time in my life, I cannot think of an example of if someone who looked like me were to be killed in a state, six states, seven states away from me, Minneapolis, Atlanta, right. um, Florida, um, I, I do not think I would empathize in the same way that a black person empathizes with a black person. Right. Dying. And, and I just can't. And it's right. not saying I won't. It's not saying I, but, but that natural because of the history of, of white people in this country, that the same empathy isn't there. And so when you said apathy, empathy, that was my transition to say, well, well, fine, like, but put yourself in that individual's shoes, empathize. Put yourself in the individual's shoes of, of who's hearing it and empathize. So that has been a part of my shift. What did you, I'd love to know um, what you shared with that, that 64 year old white man when he asked you that question. Yeah, when I was sharing with him um, specifically is he grew up in a environment where similar to what you said, there was just a lack of understanding and a lack of, of just genuine care for not just the black race, but even his own race. So where does that line, where, where does that come from? Where it, it, it ties into that privileged mindset where, you know, when you grow up in, a, in an environment when things typically just go the right way, um, for the most part, you know, they're give and take. We all go through issues and suffer pain and loss. But when you put your hands and feet to the plow and you see the results of it uh, right away, typically um, in that race, white race, that usually happens. 
however, unfortunately, just in the black race, due to many of the systemic issues and systematic problems that we have had, there has been on multiple many occasions where your hands and feet working doesn't produce what the white race produces when they put their hands and feet. And I think that also kind of segues into how we we care and the passion and the years of oppression that has boiled up to the place where this is a convergence at hand here, right? So this isn't the first movement we've had, civil rights movement took place where many people were marching and protesting. Some got a little bit more violent than others, but this isn't the first wave. So what's the difference between that first wave to now? There's a lot more education behind it. You have a younger population that has master's degrees, doctorate degrees, um, bachelor's degrees. Um, we're not relying on just one or two voices, the Martins and the, and the Malcolm X's to, to really catapult the issue. Now you have a movement, a Black Lives Matter group. You have all these other Black Men United. You have all these other nonprofit groups that have informed themselves of some of the systemic issues and now are at the place saying, hey, we just don't want to shout no more but we wanna lay down the five to 10 major conflict issues that we have not seen addressed. I'm sure you've seen the whole bill that, um, I think it may have just got past the lynching, right? Um, that mm -hmm. you're, in your mind, you're like, what, 2020? This is still an issue that wasn't passed, that that lynching um, it, it, is, it, is a hate crime, like that's an issue, like that's, like what, what happened there, right? And so, those are the main things that I think that are now bubbling up, but now you have a, a, a group that's fed up, that's teaming up with um, an older population that has been informed with many other issues that have taken place throughout the years. And there's a coming together and unifying that I've, I don't think we've ever seen before. I agree with you on that. I think so we in um, Howard County, Maryland, where I live, we had the um, largest march ever in the history of the county, according to the county historian. Wow. And it was a Black Lives Matter march um, that was organized by, uh, you know, stu college students. The oldest was, I think, 19 years old, then 18, maybe 20, but like, you know, freshman, uh, maybe a senior in high school. And um, my wife and I went and the, the, the speakers, I, I didn't know who it was organized by. The speakers were phenomenal. And they were on point and I learned a lot. I was challenged. I yeah. thought differently. And then I read, I remember I, I, I made a note in my phone, even for the podcast. I was like, I got to figure out who these folks are. Yeah. And the next day in the paper, it was an article about how their students, their 19, 18, 20 year old mm -hmm. students who pulled this thing together in two days. Yeah. And, and there were local politicians and adults who wanted to be a part of it. And they said, no, they weren't against it, but they were saying, this is our thing. And, and they had no, concept that it would end up being the largest march in the history of the county um but there was even power in the local politicians who said they were there because i wondered that too um our county executive is a black man and i remember thinking mm -hmm. like i wasn't mad at him but i was like where, why isn't he here well he was there he was in the crowd he tweeted mm -hmm. a picture of being in the crowd not a, not speaking and there was a lot of power in that mm -hmm. of recognizing he will be a voice he is a voice he's a part of making uh, systemic changes right. in politics and allowing these young people to have their own platform. And, and it was just really powerful to your point of, there are so many voices now and to the point where I genuinely think the biggest, you know, even going back to the civil rights, you know, passing the civil rights act was, was contentious. Yeah. And now we're getting, it's, it's amazing to think it's 2020. Yeah. And uh, it's now point where we're saying this is not political right. this is human rights this is the way it should be and so let's make some, some changes about this stuff yeah. um i think there's a lot of power in that yeah. and while all this is happening and, and and the moment is can no longer be fueled by the politics we still have an election in november you know and so like all those underlying current issues uh that are there will eventually have to be addressed as we go further and just in our in the rest of the year. Yeah. And then what is um so how are you is a life, you know, I only I only ask this so mm -hmm. challenge me if this is a bad question, mm -hmm. but I ask this because my experience with a life is um is predominantly uh, black individuals. Mm -hmm. And 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 you know, it is individuals that are smart or motivated that are, that, that 
are hungry to do something. Anytime mm-hmm. I work with Ayla, they are hungry to be a part of the change. Um, so what are, what are they up to right now? Are they a part of this? Yeah, so in our summer months, we typically take time off to catch our breath a bit uh, and start preparing for the fall semester. Given COVID, we had to shift everything come March and we went on to a virtual uh, landscape, which was very successful just in the level of engagement. And we we did our first ever uh, virtual retreat. Um, And then many of the unrest began to unravel the past month or so. So we've had a few uh, statements released out just on my behalf as a leader of, of, of A-Life. And then on, I believe it was two weeks ago, two Saturdays ago, um, I've started to begin to converge my life, what I believe, um, just into my nine to five as, a, as an associate vice president and director of athletics at Jersey City University. And it was difficult for me, Bobby, really, to be honest with you, Winston George Floyd um, incident took place and, and, and the murder, the following Monday, I could not just have a Monday morning meeting. It, 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 we could not just go about it business as usual. Um, and so I sent a, a note out to my staff that we're going to be setting up a Zoom call, all the coaches, all administrators, and let's hop on this call and let's just talk. I need to get in front of you and you guys also need a platform and a place where you can just be real and ask questions and just hear. And so we did this, Bob, and it was absolutely powerful. You had coaches kind of sharing some real intimate issues that they've had throughout the years. One of our coaches was um, unfortunately um, punched in the face by, by an officer um, at one point. Um, another individual said that they've never been um, in, a, in, a, in an environment, in an African-American community. So they're afraid to, they don't know what to say. They want to support, but they don't want to support. So a lot of like the underlying things that goes typically in our mind, we don't know what to say. We created a forum where that happened. And for yeah. 45, 60 minutes, it, it was a powerful. And then the byproduct of that was the following day, uh, we had a, a VP cabinet meeting and I brought up the concept of us uh, having a forum on, on Saturday, that weekend, where we got the community together, all of NJC community. We're not going to be able to change the world until we change our world, right? So we have to change our own physical world. And for me, it was getting our community together. Let's create and, and organize a, a peaceful protest. Um, let's do something that's action-oriented. Um, as well. So we teamed up with this group called Black Men United, who has been doing phenomenal work in Jersey City. And we put brought our bus, we had our bus on, on the boulevard. Uh, we had a, a great um, gathering on campus on our lawn. Um, I shared a few remarks. We had a few students share their remarks, just really un- unifying our community. You had Blacks, Whites, Asians, Spanish, everyone was there. And then we walked for two miles to Martha Luther King Boulevard and met at the West District Police Department, right? So at this point, there's more contentions with the police and Black lives. And we we utilize this as an opportunity to to start the conversation of bridging the gap, right? There's a lot of systemic issues and reform that needs to take place. There's no denying that, no question about that. But what is also critically important as a believer, as a leader, um, is that we are able to put aside the hate, the anger, the bitterness, the frustration and rage to begin to clearly communicate what are some of the issues and say, that is not a person that I hate. I don't like the system in which that person is operating in that requires him or her to do certain things. Once you start having that communication and bridging the gap, then the higher ups who really have the power, right, to shift things are more inclined to begin to shift things. So we started that in a community and then we did a cleanup project along Martha Luther King started picking up trash. Um, so that was uh, an awesome day because A Life Ministry um, came, with, came um, with our team as well and prayed over the campus beforehand and really had a presence there. We sang, we shared some thoughts and you know, to me, what our main initiative will be as we get ready for this fall, because this isn't dying or going away, is to be more intentional into the community. You know, our yeah. church is doing something uh, two Sunday, two Saturdays uh, from today where we're going to go out into the community with the community-wide project. 
you know, those are the things that we're going to be more intentional about because um, you, we have to begin to bridge the fear, take the fear out of people, start bridging the gap um, regarding relationships with, um, with those of the white race, with those of any other race that may not typically understand uh, some of the frustrations that are taking place. Yeah. Well, that was one of my, so my question was going to be, you know, what is the next step? And so is that mm -hmm. the next step is just being more active and involved in the community? Yeah, I think there's multiple next steps. I, to, to be honest with you, I've yeah. been more proactive in informing myself, right? Because if I look at myself, I'm a director of athletics. I am leading a, a young adults campus ministry. Those are the two industries in which I'm heavily informed and knowledgeable about, right? I can read and quote the Bible, and, and, but certain things need to be transitioned into having more information about what are some of the issues that are at hand. Um, I've been encouraging people as much as possible to start uh, watching things and listening to things that are going to inform you, but not fuel you to a place of hate, anger, frustration, because there's no end goal in that. All it does is create bitterness in your heart and not looking to actually have be a solution to, to the problems that we have. That's huge. That's huge for me. Uh, listen and read things that inform you, but don't fuel you because, um, yeah, I've had my, my days of just, and, 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 and I, and I turned it into action. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. the, the, this podcast grew out of a, uh, my tone in my, my white privilege episode was, was indicative of my tone that day. It wasn't my typical positive, optimistic tone. Um, yeah. and, and, and so, but I, I do enjoy that nuance. Cause I think a lot of, I, I read a tweet, um, I forget who it was from this morning, though, that said, um, don't just be an activist. At your oh, it was uh, Darnell, Lamar Darnell Shields, who's a, a speaker and podcast host I follow in Baltimore. He said, don't just be an activist at your dinner table. And I mm -hmm. thought that was pretty powerful because a lot yeah. of us can just get, get angry. <laughs> and, and, and a good point to that is that's a really good point because a lot of times we get the emotion, you know, those that first step, you, you feel the empathy, right? Like, oh, this is frustrating. I want to change it, you know, and then you're talking amongst your colleagues or talking amongst your family members and it just sits there. And I, today I was talking to one of um, my colleagues at work and um, she's white uh, of the white race. And she had mentioned that her and her husband this weekend has this really intentional about reading some books on uh, African-American history. And they watched Malcolm X for the first time which is incredible, right? So you have someone that is in a leadership role that's watching Malcolm X and she comes out and, and finds out that one of the spouse of Malcolm X um, for, for 13 years was a graduate of New Jersey City University. And mm. she floors, she says, why haven't we celebrated? There, her name is nowhere in our building. Like we did a poor job. And that goes to the lack of understanding and knowledge that we don't have as a society in, in, in celebrating the black culture. And mm -hmm. that will only shift and change when we begin to say immerse ourselves in the culture instead of just, just talking about it. I want you now to know more about the black culture because once you do, then you'll be, you'll be more inclined to help be a, a powerful advocate, right? Not just ones that's shouting alongside, but saying, hey, you know what? Do you know about Betty Shabazz? Like, do you know about some other issues that have taken place and, 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 and the past? There's a movie on, on Netflix that details the story of the Central Park jogger. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know how familiar you are with, with, with that, but mm -hmm. that is a great movie for many people. 1989, this main case that took place where you had five teenagers charged with a crime that they didn't do. And eventually, you know, they are vindicated of all of that, but it took years. And it shows you a lot of the racism that was taking place um, and the systemic issues within a, a law, uh, within a criminal justice system that needed to be reformed. And some of that was reformed, but there's other layers to it. But when you see movies of that nature, it begins to um, not desensitize you, it begins to really uh, sensitize you to like, okay, this is real, this isn't just talk. The people are just yelling and saying, like, defund the police, what does that mean? I, I don't think it's the greatest slogan, but I get it. What what the, the goal and the intent is to reform some of the money back into the community and not get rid of the police department, but really begin and put in some um, reforming issues that will enhance to make sure that the right officers are there and the right money is going to the right community um, initiatives. 
Yeah, well, and to your point, I think, you know, I have been challenged by my belief, uh, you know, years back when Black Lives Matter first came about. Um, I personally challenged the communication aspect of it, right? If people can immediately say blue lives matter, all lives matter, and all that's just, in my opinion, a distraction. And my thought was, well, I think, you know, they need a better slogan. And, but I'm not, I'm not gonna speak up about that. I felt like that's not my place and nor is anybody gonna listen. I'm like, well, I don't have that much power right. with my Twitter account. And so, uh, but, but, uh, uh, and, but then I've challenged myself to say, well, why do I feel that way, right? Are there other movements that I felt that way about? And then defund the police. I immediately started reading about and I was like, you know what, like what they're saying is spot on in terms of allocating more resources towards community centers, towards schools, towards, you know, in Baltimore. We learned this at the March. There's a, 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 a teacher who spoke who said in his school, they don't have heat. They don't have heat in a school mm -hmm. two blocks away. They built a $20 million prison. And so, yeah. you know, just he was talking about that. And so once again, I'm challenged to say, well, defund the police, you know, right. isn't a good use of words. And then, I think what I've come to really realize, because I challenge myself for even thinking that, and the reality is what you just said, when our history, and specifically speaking from my experience, I have not, I have, I've been so blind and have not been taught in school, in conversations with mentors and parents and my surroundings about so much of black history. And so therefore, when, when there is this cry for defunding the police it sounds like it's coming out of nowhere it sounds like yeah. it's an immediate reaction to george floyd when in reality it's like no this goes back to you know uh tulsa oklahoma back in the 20s yeah. when that yeah. was burned down i've never heard of that until yeah. this year yeah. um the 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 joggers and you're not the only one right so no. i think a lot of times yeah. we think it's just the white race i, I tell you what i i 80 of african-americans probably did not know about that story right yeah because the way that history is developing in K through 12, it's more the European history, it's the US history from the lens of one race. And so it doesn't integrate all of even local history, which I'm a huge advocate of, mm -hmm. that I believe that states should begin to target their history based off of the, the local history in that community. Could you imagine being in the city of Newark and knowing about the riots, knowing about the, the, the boom of residential living and all the things that you're more inclined to either take care of your city, invest in your city, pour back into the people of it because you know the history, you know the, the issues that were at hand. And I think that's where we've missed the mark in informing and, and educating just our, our youth of America that are now in this political or social movement where they're chanting and, and, and sharing their hearts. I think you're absolutely right. You know, I, I grew up in outside of Syracuse and we, we did learn about, you know, we were called Salt City and they talk about it's because the old salt mines and mm -hmm. Erie Canal was a huge part of why you have Albany, Syracuse, Rochester, Buffalo along the central of New York. We learned about the Native American reservations. We would have Native Americans come to our school and talk to us. And when I moved away for college and have since traveled the country, I've come to find how rare that is. And I don't know if that's right. a New York thing, if my school, maybe I just had a really good teacher that decided to focus on it um, or, or what, but there, are, there is a disconnect yeah. of the community. You know, where we live, um, my wife and I were just talking about this this morning, we intentionally moved to Columbia, Maryland because we've lived in several different parts of the state. I've traveled a lot and I, I thought, you know what, this is a really diverse, progressive, uh, vibrant community that we wanna be a part of. And, and I am finding that now we're surrounded by good people that challenge us and, 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 and people that are, that, that like-minded folks yeah. and 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 i think you're right that does create knowing the history of this community i've only been here for four years excites me to be a part of how we continue to grow but if you have no understanding of your community where it's come from where it's gone um that does leave a discount i think president obama had a really he, he made that point even from a place of politics yeah. he said get excited about national politics and know that everything you're asking for from police reform to more resources to schools to yeah. more resources for after school programming that's local politics yeah it that's is. local involvement and i think that sometimes we we can miss it which i was so excited two weeks ago when we were in jersey city and having our community moment and and really beginning to usher and change there I even start talking about just our institution as a school, we should be doing more. We need to be more um, um, 
moving in direction for, for social change at our institute. Those are the local things that we can make an impact. And a lot of times we're waiting for that civil rights moment for the national move and, and the Martins to stand up and everyone follow and Million Man March. I think those are important elements of it, but God has already identified who that individual or individuals will be. In the mm. meantime, you have the tremendous opportunity to stand up now, to go to your local uh, municipalities, to uh, inform yourself of what the issues are taking place to help improve. You have the opportunity to go into your local homes and share your heart, to begin to shift maybe the mindset of those that have been living in a bubble in terms of what their thought process towards the African-American race or any other race um, specifically. And those are the things that once you start throwing and identifying some of those smaller fruits, eventually that tree that's filled up with opportunities will not have so much fruit that are really available and then the big things will start to be attacked as well. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to ask you this. So you are the uh, Associate Vice President of New Jersey City University mm -hmm. in Jersey City. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a part of the community and you're the you know, head athletic director and, and you've shared already what you are doing to connect to the community, to invest in the community, to even bridge the work you're doing with a life to your, to your nine to five, to, to have that meeting with your, I wrote this question down when you brought that up, you know, bringing your coaches in on that Monday morning to say, you know, on a zoom call, we're not going to do business as usual. I want to know how you're doing, how we can serve. What is your advice or words or whatever you want to call it mm -hmm. for other leaders who I'm, I'm going to put this in their mouth. You know, I work with a lot of different leaders and, and I, there are leaders who are avoiding these conversations and they're not just, if, and if anyone's making an assumption in their mind, they're not just the, the non-black leaders. There's black yeah. leaders right now, especially in higher education yeah. that are, are not hosting meetings like that, avoiding the conversation, going as business as usual. And my hunch is it's a discomfort, it's a vulnerability, it's a fear, it's a sense of, you know, I, I'll march in my free time, but nine to five, I do my nine to five. And, and, and I, I also know, because as you know, I know you very well, and I know your coaches, right? Like, last time I was on campus, yeah, I'm right. and talking with your, with your coaches before. Right, a year ago. And that's, and that's the case, that's the case with almost all my clients. So, I'm here to tell you, uh, uh, the leaders that aren't doing anything, their their followers, the people that work for them, are not happy with it. Yeah. And and so, what is your advice for those leaders? Yeah, well, first thing I would say, and you you've heard this across uh, the media, the landscape, social media, silence is consent. Mm -hmm. Let's just get that clear. Silence is consent. And so some of you may think, all right, I'm no longer just being silent. I, I just had a statement out there. I, I'll even next, next push would be, you know, statements are just not enough. Um, statements lack, lack the humanity and the human emotion, the requirement to engage with people. We can sometimes uh, stand behind statements and feel good about the words and our wordsmithing to get a statement to uh, touch the hearts of the readers. But more so than ever, our voice matters. Our voice needs to be heard. Our student athletes need to hear our voice. They need to know that we care about the matter. Then we also need to provide leadership, right? A lot of people are, are, are yearning for just leaders to provide a path or guidance to what they should be doing, what they should be reading, what should they be seeing, what should be they sharing. Um, those are the things that as leaders of our higher education students where you uh, institutions where you have 18 to 25 year olds deciding I'm going to utilize these next three to seven years of my lives as, as years of development. And we, it's a responsibility for all of us to uh, uh, provide a platform and an environment where they're going to grow and not just grow academically, but grow socially, um, grow spiritually, which I think is a major, major component to what's taking place um, even in our nation now and to also grow um, emotionally. Um, mental health is at the forefront of what's taking place too as well with some of the, um, I don't think people really understand with, with our, our black men and black women, just the mental uh, uh, capacity and the mental frustrations and the mental issues that are triggers that are coming back up again. And like, there's, a, there's a cohort of people that need 
that care, right? And um, I believe just all these elements are just in need of a leadership and leaders that are going to be willing to not just take risk, but um, I always say spirit-filled, calculated risks where you have just been praying and you've been uh, really internalizing and, 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 and getting to a place where you just know, like, I've been called to do this. Like, this is what is needed for this time. And that is how our moment took place at Jersey City two weeks ago. I woke up and I felt the Lord just saying, this is what needs to happen. And we got the team together. We got ministries, we got students, and it was a wonderful event. And we're looking to do more of those things as we move forward, because we know that this is not just a 2020 moment. It is a decade of opportunity for us to make a change. Mm -hmm. That's a beautiful answer. You know, I think about um, what, uh, what my platform is, what's the purpose of this podcast. And, and I, I, can, I, love, I wrote down spirit-filled calculated risks and spirit-filled, I know you're intentional, um, mm -hmm. is, is a, a really pivotal part of that because as I think through your reaction versus the reaction of some others, and I'm not putting them down, and I think they can do better based on your example, is, is that sense of, you know, everything that we as an organization try to teach is be a human, be a human. Uh, I think that's my message every year to your coaches, be a human, right? Have humanity, uh, be vulnerable, make mistakes, take risks. And in taking risks, um, you'd mentioned a while back, uh, talking here um, about the individuals on your staff who said, well, maybe white folks or non-black folks saying, I imagine it's probably primarily white folks because that's why I'm hearing this from is I don't know what to say right. and the fear of saying the wrong thing. So what, what did you, what was your response to those folks on that call? Yeah, I said, first, uh, thank you for sharing your heart that many other of your peers are also thinking as well. And I think I, I was, I was watching this um, podcast or, or message um, from a prominent leader that just talked about what can white people do? Um, the first thing I would say is the acknowledgement of your heart. Where's your heart at? Does this issue bring you to a place of annoyance? Is it annoying you? Like, is this very thing annoying you? If it is, you gotta, you gotta handle that first because you cannot go across the line and engage with the black race if your heart is not in the right mind frame. Once you do that, you may not be informed on every issue, um, but you are now willing to receive real criticism or real feedback on what are some other things that need to take place. The next thing I would say is that um, from an advocacy standpoint, many of us, many of the white uh, race may already be in positions of power or positions of change where you can utilize your platform, utilize your, your ability to uh, galvanize groups together. You shouldn't be the one forefront like this, this, this. You should allow that black race to be able to do that, but you maybe are the connector behind the scenes, doing everything that is needed and standing side by side or behind someone that is really sharing the change. Those are things that I think are critical, informing, watching movies, documentaries that are talking about the history of some of the issues that were going on, um, informing yourself daily where you're not just reactionary to some of the issues, but you're now also calculating and thinking strategically okay, I, I think this, I think it's something I can tackle because you're not going to be able to tackle every issue, right? Because there's numerous issues. But if I can say, I feel passionate about educational reform when it comes to racism and systemic issues. Let me go in that direction. That could because another person is worrying about the criminal justice reform that needs to be handled. And we can go to every industry, healthcare, we get to sports, right? Like Colin Kaepernick is back on the floor scene, uh, for, for, yeah. Uh, seen again because of Drew Brees' comments, right? And so mm -hmm. Drew has to now inform himself and, and bring himself to a place of, why was my heart so uh, in a place that I share those comments, right? Like, those are the things that we all have, we all can do to begin to shift on that side. Yeah, and I mean, to that example, that is at some level the power of social media um, with individuals like Drew Brees and Colin Kaepernick is, is Drew Brees, um, that is, that is, that's, that tweet was clearly not a thought out, calculated, something he ran by somebody. It was thought. It was something that if you were friends with him, he would say, and maybe you challenge and you'd have an argument over. And after four hours, you'd walk away and say, okay, you know what? I hadn't thought of that. Right. And, and so that was, and I, and I think that's the power of that is so many 
the, the, the reaction people had, whether in support or against, um, is almost creating the dining room table conversation mm-hmm. on a national level. And you're going to have arguments and heated discussions over that. But as long as, you know, Drew Brees came out and, and kind of acknowledged his uh, ignorance, for yeah. lack of a better term, uh, and, and that's not bad. Yeah. Um, it's, a, uh, it's a start. Absolutely. It's, it's yeah. a start. And I, I'm a firm believer in like, the 200-yard the a race or a 400 yard race, right? Everyone jumps out the blocks because you have to the speed. But if you ask the Usain Bolts of the world, all those that ran those races, there is a portion of that race where you allow your start to help sustain you until you got to burst once again, right? And my hope with Drew is that, yes, it was a good restart of him coming out and, and, and saying that he was ill-informed and is ignorant and he's going to do better, it'll be the next few months. Once the season starts in September and then even when he retires, just making sure that that platform will always be there and he has an opportunity to really affect change um, across the board, especially how well-connected he is. Yeah, that's so true. I love that analogy. Everyone starts out, yeah. hits the blocks, but then you have your own race. Um, I have one more question that I'd like to ask, um, but before I do, um, is there a question you you were hoping I asked you? Would love I ask you? Is there something in your heart that you want to share that we haven't gotten? To no, yet? I think we yeah we shared on we've, we've touched on everything. Um, okay, which is I, which I wasn't <laughs> surprised that we weren't because every time we get, <laughs> we get together we're pretty pretty yeah. uh, thorough on our topics. Yeah. So, yeah. I love it. Um, all right. Well, my, my last question is in, is inspired by uh, the 50 cups of coffee question. On my first interview with you, um, I asked you, you know, what's a 50 cups of coffee story? And that was it. The question I've been asking my guests lately is, you know, why I was challenged to do these interviews is um, I was talking to Harry Swain off mic. Just I called him. He, it, it was a good I texted him. Uh, pretty immediately and he said how about you and I hop on a call um, and just just talk don't record just talk and I was like all right fine you know maybe I, I was thinking of Harry oh maybe he's got you know maybe he wants to talk and pretty immediately he recognized I needed to talk and and so so we talked for an hour and a half and and that was cathartic and helpful for me and so I said to him I said what do I do like what what is what is my role in this what's the solution and he said do you know we need more relationships. Uh, you know, the individual who uh, is, is, has a relationship with someone who looks different than them, thinks different than them, uh, believes different than them, that's the individual who has more empathy, who mm-hmm. changes, who thinks differently. And so he was really, for, in, you know, kind of saying, let's, let's keep ensuring people understand the power of diverse relationships. So my question is, um, do you have an example or a story of a time where, you were challenged by a relationship. You thought differently about something because of a relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, you grew or, or whatever. And it doesn't have to be focused on race. It could be anything, um, but a relationship that got you to think differently. Hmm. That's a good question. Um, nothing comes to mind right away. Um, and I, I, okay. So I, I think I do have one. Um, and I think this probably relates to many African-Americans who are in that age gap, uh, age gap of, third, of 25 to, to 40, right? Mm-hmm. And so you are considered a young adult, adult during that time period now. You're a little bit further removed from the college experience. You're adulting, as they say, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of times in that, you're, you're really kind of singularly focused on my, my goals, my passions, my drive. And when the narrative years ago were some of the social issues that were going on, the po- political landscape, right, that was shifting and changing, um, I had a poor view of the dynamic and relationship that my race would have to have with politics. So politics is that person, right? I was ill-informed. I would say, I don't need to get involved with it. It's already fixed. Nothing I can do and nothing I can change. Um, My vote, I'm voting in a state that's already voting what I'm doing. Like, where's my voice, right? And as I've gotten older, Bobby, I've realized how ignorant and naive that thought process was because the way I went into the process of viewing just overall politics 
limited my understanding and knowledge of all the social issues that were connected to politics and the people that were connected to politics. So I was casting a wide net on every last individual that was representing one group when, when you start to dissect it a bit, really it's individual, right? Individual mm -hmm. issues and individual people and people having that. And so you, you flip it on its head, it's kind of a, another mirror image of a white race casting a white net, net and saying all these black individuals are this and that and that. And so I had to challenge my way I went about just thinking about how I engaged uh, with politics. That's a really, really cool answer. And, and timely for me, because um, I, I believe that wholeheartedly, like I said to you to start this episode, I've tried to remain apolitical. And I've even challenged that because mm in my personal relationships. Um, you know, I, I am, I'm a registered Democrat and I'm definitely more, mo I'm a moderate Democrat, mm -hmm. which isn't really uh, an exciting thing nowadays. <laughs> my absolute best friend is, is the epitome of a free market capitalist. Mm -hmm. And, and so he doesn't even resonate entirely with the Republican party. I think that's what he's registered. I don't know, yeah. but that is where he's you know politically aligned. Uh, my, one of my other absolute best friends is a full on socialist, mm -hmm. like, and, and doesn't, you know, probably thinks Bernie Sanders isn't even far left enough. Right. And, <laughs> and then, and, uh, and so here's a group of people, we've been friends for like 12, 13 years now, and we've talked politics, we've talked religion. Um, and one of those folks is an atheist and one's mm -hmm. a almost born again. And, mm -hmm. and, 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 and I'm kind of in the middle again of spiritual, like I'm very yeah. kind of always but, uh, in the middle. And uh, my point is, you know, I, I do think we've gotten away from as re in relationships, talking about anything that might rub people the wrong way. Yeah. And we put people in boxes, right? Yeah. If I come in as a speaker and, and, and give any sort of inkling that I'm, you know, lean Democrat, for some reason, if, if the athletic director is Republican, there's a sense that we won't get along. Like, what are you talking about? Right. right. Like we probably have more in common than we have different. Uh, we probably even uh, on issues uh, would probably, if we were voting vote, align with each other right um but for one reason or another we we assign ourselves to a different community and i think we're in a time now where we're realizing we need to have these conversations more we need to, yeah. to even with students i have had some of the best i've had students who pull me aside at lunch in a retreat sometimes and um maybe they're more politically focused and they can kind of see my beliefs coming through and they'll challenge me and we have some of the best conversations mm -hmm. and and I've, I've seen the advisors at times be uncomfortable with it because they know we're sitting there talking politics right. lunch. and it's like there's nothing uncomfortable here we're having yeah. conversations about leadership and life and, and uh, I think we need to have more of them and yeah. not, 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 not look at people who think differently than us as they're wrong and we're right. Cause right. none of us really know what we're doing. Absolutely. You, you nailed it on the head and that's, that's going to be the catalyst to begin to shift the current system then in which it stands. And um, I, I believe that's starting to happen now. And then the under underbelly of all of this is, you know, you touched on it a little bit just about, the, the spiritual element of it. Mm -hmm. I believe that there are there are people that are are praying that will continue to pray. And while they may not get the accolades, they won't get people knocking on the door and saying thank you, thank you, thank you for praying for change. That, but that's a big part of it. It's a, it's a heart issue. And as mm -hmm. a nation, we have to deal with our past sins of of slavery, past sins of just racism and systemic racism and all those things. And then on the other side, we have to deal with the sense of, of bitterness and rage and anger that the Black community has developed over the years that has now also allowed for counter-racism to take place. So all those things, we got to deal with it. We can't just put a put dirt over it and just say that's not there. No, we got to unearth it, get mm -hmm. rid of it, repent of it, move on, and then really allow for unity, unity and um and communication and, and love to begin to really establish. Yeah, that's no, so true. Well, Sean, this is awesome. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time. I know you're a busy man, especially right now. <laughs> and uh, I think um, I don't know uh, what exactly, you know, my thought was maybe add this to your first interview that we did. Of okay. course, then it'll be like a three hour episode. So we'll see. <laughs> maybe I'll do part one, part two, but I definitely wanted to reconnect and just, yeah. just, uh, uh, allow you to share your heart. On no, I appreciate it. I really enjoyed it. And I agree with you. Like you said, just more of this needs to take place as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll keep making it happen. So awesome.
Thank right, you. Be good. well. All right, Enjoy brother. your family. Yeah. Likewise. Take Talk care. Thank you for listening to the 50 Cups of Coffee podcast. If you haven't already, please go check out my TEDx talk by YouTubing the 50 Cups of Coffee Challenge. Go ahead and connect with me on social media at Bobby Audley. This show is a production of the Pinot Training Group, and the theme music is by Matisse Soy. To learn more about how we serve teams and organizations, please check us out at PinotTrainingGroup.com.